And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies? I'm Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris. Hi everybody. Uh, Alex, I have a really important question to ask you. Do you remember the first time you were a child and you felt sexy? <laughs> do you remember how old you were? And do you remember what the thing, what was it that made you feel sexy? Even if you didn't, what you now understand to be sexiness, like, but you probably didn't know at the time that that's what that was. Um, do you have a memory of that? I was like, I was like 36 and I was like, look, <laughs> I'm not, I'm walking out of here if you don't give me the terms that I want on the lease for this Prius. And I was like Robert Plant in that moment. Um, no, I, no, no, I don't have, a, I, I don't think I should know that. I, I, I don't know. Well, no, you don't understand it to be sexy when you're five or six. You just know that there's something that makes you feel really good and happy, but in this very sort of confident way. I guess maybe what we're talking about is confidence. I'm phrasing it as sexiness. Yeah, you're equating. Kind of, first well, of all, there's there's a kind of swagger that comes along with it. Anyway, I know, I know I, what it is. I know what it is. I have an answer. When you okay. said when you said swagger, it just all crystallized for okay. me. Uh, okay. It's a picture day. In I think uh, fifth grade, maybe mm -hmm. fourth, fifth grade, something like that. Uh, double denim and mm. uh, moose in the hair for the first time, which is kind ah. of a mullet, mm -hmm. and it's sort of it's like going back, uh, you know, like pushing it pushing it back for the first time. I think I'd had some kind of a you know, been like getting out of the bowl cut period mm -hmm. for a long time. You know, not really sure, kind of in a holding pattern in terms of the uh, hairstyle. Uh, so yeah, it's moose and the, and the and the double denim and possibly like a yeah like a pink t shirt of some sort like a Marty McFly t shirt, and I was like yeah, I heard mm. the, the the rhythm of the night <laughs> for the first time to the beat of DeBarge's <laughs> rhythm of the night. I heard the bass line from Staying Alive without even really knowing that song. Just it started it just kind of started playing like yeah in, oh. in in my head you can just feel it. So so the Bee Gees not DeBarge. Uh, yeah, I was on. A, I was on. Yeah, something like exactly. But you know, the rhythm of the night. I think the Bee Gees and DeBarge are both tapped into that. You know, elemental rhythm of the night. Go on. Anyway, they're very different rhythms of the night. I I will take the Bee Gees over DeBarge's rhythm of the night, almost any day. Almost. I'm just saying the rhythm of the the, the, of the night is like a public utility. It's just there, <laughs> flowing underneath the night, and you can kind of dip into it with your bucket. Of rhythm. Well, I like some buckets better than others. That's all I'm saying. I'm only asking this question because I ha I have never thought about this before. But then I witnessed over the weekend. I mean, I guess I've seen other kids do this, but when it's a kid in your life, have this realization, or you know, he probably had it weeks ago, and is now. I just this is the first time I've seen it because it's a new side of him. But we were we were together this weekend and. Uptown Funk came on and this little boy who had just been sitting there like playing games on my phone heard the song and was just like Uptown Funk can't give it to you. He just like <laughs> just turned into James Brown. It was the weirdest thing. 
he doesn't really know what the words mean. He's five years old and like has no idea what's going on. But this is is this a nephew? This is somebody. Or this is, is my this nephew. This okay. is my sister's. This is my sister's son, Deucey. Uh Deuce, little Deuce, Christopher Tompkins, the second. He just, I don't know what happened. He just started like dancing. I didn't know he could dance. He's got amazing rhythm. He knows what to do with his hips. And I think this is a this is a Bruno Mars specific phenomenon, uh, where kids hear Bruno Mars records and they just go crazy. Uh, I mean, my friend Charlie's two kids. You know, there was a moment during the Super Bowl where nobody knew who he was last year, and uh, the kids knew. <laughs> Locked out of heaven, they just you know it's like a Muppet song for them. Um, but this, I mean, Deuce went, Deuce went nuts. I mean, and not nuts. Like he wasn't, it wasn't like, yeah, it was like, I have full possession of my body right now and I'm going to make it dance in this very specific way. My feet in conjunction with my hips in conjunction with my arms are going to do what Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson are telling me to do. He has not heard the mystical song from that record. <laughs> Which is, that's I'm, my, yeah, that's my jam. I mean, not that I have that feeling with that song. I've never had that feeling. I've never had that feeling that really? my arms and my legs, I mean, I feel like my arms Where and my legs are like, are like, okay, we're going to, we're going to cross this parking lot. Where you just know you're the sh You just don't, you don't have that? I've never had that feeling. Oh, Alex, I hope it happens to you someday. This is like those horror stories. Like, well, whatever. I'm not even going to. The next, that. the next step is me in the the Spider Man three montage. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. That, that's, that's what happens. I, I, mean, I don't mean to, you know. Look, that's like, that's a great moment though because that's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Even if you think that moment is dorky, like I, I love that moment as a I love that moment too. Film goer as a film watcher, but uh, yeah, that's it. it I, I, that it looks weird. It's like it's, it shouldn't be. You should not be that confident. I feel like well, I don't know. Ducey got that confident. I mean, look, Bruno Mars and and Mark Ronson. That's a that's a head start on life if he's five and he was at that point. I'm 37. Yeah. I'm not at that point. <laughs> anyway. I I relate more to the the uh, the mystical song. It, it reminds me of something. It's it's like something like it, it's what Davis McAlary on Treme was striving for constantly. Like that would be the thing that he would sort of he would finally be like, "This is it, man! I did it! And, you know, I achieved my goal, man!" Like that would be, the, you know, I feel like that's probably the season finale of Treme. Like the real, the true end of that story is him producing that record. All right. Well, we're gonna go on to the next segment, and you're gonna run off and 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 fix Treme. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. Uh, I'm going to totally about... call David Simon about that because he really, you know, what he likes is uh, suggestions, feedback, feedback, yeah. and criticism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. from journalists. Uh, this week, we're talking about we're going to talk about focus. We're going to talk about the loss of Leonard Nimoy. We're going to talk about the the very good fourth season of Girls. We'll be right back. Talk about Will Smith's focus. Hold on to your watches. So we were almost going to uh, film this episode and put it on YouTube. Uh, we were going to start doing that at, at some point. Um, but I had a whole bit that I wanted to do, Wesley, and uh, I'm going to now do it anyway. 
even though it's a visual bit, I'm going to describe it because we're going to talk about focus. We're going to talk about this movie where Will Smith, uh, among other things, uh, teaches Margot Robbie the art of pickpocketing or some fi- some of the finer points. She's a novice pickpocket and he teaches her kind of advanced pickpocketing. But I was going to have a thing where you would be looking for something like an iPhone or whatever. And like I'd be like, are you looking for this? And it was really funny because <laughs> we're in different cities. But I just like took it off you uh, and I just hold it up. Um but we that can't would do be it. pretty swaggery. I think that would be that would be that'd be a sexy move, Alex. I think <laughs> you would have the confidence to 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 of a sexy five year old. Yes, 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 exactly. I hope so. Uh, how I did you like Focus? I want to know how did you feel about Focus? I liked it. I liked it. I mean, I, you know, I don't. It's not great. Um, I think the things that work about it work well enough. Um, I don't find the ending to be as much of a problem as other people do. I think it's I don't think, I think it's ridiculous. But, you know, I think that there's a way in which if you take a movie that stars Will Smith calm, almost doing anything, almost doing anything, except for dying, um, even though it kind of looks like what he's doing in this movie for a little bit. Um, I'll be happy. And I think that if you take Will Smith and you make him a con man who is then required to teach some lesser con how to, how to the art of the steel and you build a caper movie, a caper romantic comedy around that, I think I'm very much in, especially if the two people who make the movie even a little bit know what they're doing. And I, I do think that the directors of this movie do, um, I mean, I was happy enough. I mean, this is like I, 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 I'm not fully convinced that Will Smith. I don't know. I need, I need like two more movies at this level from him. You know, or like where there's not a lot riding on it, and it didn't cost a lot of money to make. And if the movie only makes, you know, a little bit of money, he can continue to work again at 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 a certain level. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I had a really good time watching this movie. I enjoyed every minute of the experience of watching it. I don't think it's good. I did not think it was good at all. I didn't think I, – I, first of all – Do you think it's bad? No, I didn't think it was bad. I just thought – there's certain things that I demand from a movie like this, from a con man movie, con person, con, con right. people. I feel like the caper – is underdeveloped. I think the things that they're actually, you know, the well, there's the two capers. There's two. There's two. Okay, the second caper is nothing. The second caper where it's literally like we're we're stealing the you know the secret for the, the, it's like the second caper is like a get smart caper. Like we're just stealing the space plans. It could be anything. Right, it's a right, fuel right. algorithm that right. you don't even even know. It's on a thumb drive. At some point, these things get too technical, or you have to watch that they don't get too technical. I feel like you know the gold standard is something like the Ocean's movies. Where even in the mm. ones that like the, you know the lesser oceans movies, there are no lesser oceans movies. All right, that's a fair. As I, look, <laughs> I'm ready to go there. I'm ready to go there with you. Like I don't. Yeah, I, I I think they're all really good. I think there's always the sense that this might not work out. Like they're trying to pull off something that's difficult. There's a real sense of you know of, like of obstacle. There's some tension that they could fail. There's some tension that they could fail. Yes. Point yes. one. That's always a, that's always a thing. 
there, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, well, we just scanned your codes off the satellite. And like it's at a certain point once – I know that that's not what this is about because it's not really – you know, the caper is almost sort of incidental to the whole thing. But I kind of wish it had been a cooler caper that would have done it for – that would have helped me. You know, another thing about the Oceans movies, everyone has a personality. Like there's all of these actors and they all have a thing going on. And like I feel like there's none of that in this world. Like no one does any – it's basically just Will Smith and Margot Robbie and like a bunch of kind of, you know, cutouts. Sort of movie. I love Gerald McRaney in this movie. All right, Gerald McRaney. No, I, I, that is the one thing. Gerald McRaney, the Gerald McRaney heel turn is one of yes. my favorite things that's been going on these last few years. I kind of, it kind of goes back to Deadwood. You know, he was a really great, uh, he was George Hurst on Deadwood. He was a real great bad guy in there. And then, you know, yeah, no, I mean, he's got, he's got the carriage. He's got the, you know, the masculinity for that sort of thing. He's got, you know, it's, he, it, it just works with him. And he's funny as a, as a heel in this movie. Um, yeah, he's got but, all the good so lines. So what else? Do you, yeah, he has all the good lines, uh, except for that line where Will Smith, I, I don't know if it's improvised or what, but like where she's trying to seduce him at a table in a restaurant and he says, you know, it's not working for him. And he says, does it feel sexy on your face? <laughs> that is good. That's good. That just, I mean, I could watch Will Smith do put downs for a hundred minutes. I really could. Yeah. Unfortunately, he is to do other things in this movie. Uh, and I mean, and I am saying that as a person who, who really thinks the movie works more or less. I mean, I agree with you about the capers, but I really only went to see Will Smith. And I feel like I got a bonus of a, of a somewhat competently made movie with very low narrative stakes. And I mean, I, I would assume low financial stakes. Um, and had a, I had a, I had a good enough time. I do not understand her. She's a bit of a mystery. Were you finished, by the way, making your points about what's well, lacking in this movie? You have brought me back to one of my, another of my points. Conveniently enough, we have returned to another, a, a subject I meant to bring up, which is the, the Margot Robbie, uh, phenomenon, which is apparently happening. It is apparently a thing. Yeah. Um, I get it, but I don't get it. Do you get it as a heterosexual male? You get it? Oh, totally. You... No, I think that she that like that's the only way that I really get it. Honestly, like I think that that makes it makes total sense. It may, like that you'd be like, yes, we're gonna put this person in our movie. Like if we can, if we're gonna do that. Like that makes perfect sense to me. I don't think they have any real chemistry between them. I think there's, you know, the I. I, you know, we went back and forth. I saw this with my wife on Saturday. We were talking about, you know, whether the issue was Margot Robbie or whether it was the script, whether like a better script, if some, you know, one more, one more punch up, which I think would have, would have been great. You know, somebody came mm-hmm. in, kind of wrote some better jokes. You know, whoever was behind, uh, does it feel sexy on your face? If there'd been like 10 more of those, you know, would you, yeah. would uh, I don't I, I don't know. It's just it, she just it, I don't I don't buy it. But there's a lot of like, you know, and she's required to do a lot of things. I mean, like, let's play this clip that we have just like this. It'll illustrate, I think, something um, sort of is on my mind about this performance. I can't talk so much. And I've heard a lot since then. How does it feel? 
Wow. Yeah. Oh. Wow. I think you're losing it. That was pathetic. Yeah. There's a lot of. Do you know what that uh, reminded me yeah. of? <laughs> what? What did it remind you of? You know the that those fan mail interludes on TLC's fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> There's that one where Chili is like, where <laughs> the whispering player, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think the punch the punchline is sort of unprintable, but it's like, <laughs> it's just like you know, I don't, there's something just. I love how vulgar that fan mail record is. <laughs> and it's just, like listening to her, listening to Margaret Roby do this, I was like, please just, just erupt with like, <laughs> she didn't do that. I, yeah. I wish there, yeah. I wish there was something going on there. <laughs> Somehow, something could have happened. There's just a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot of Margaret Roby listening sort of in awe as Will Smith explains how amazing he is or, you know, right. like, tells her the whole That's, story. Yeah, I agree. That is something that is missing, which is that, you know, there has to be some kind of Catherine Zeta Jones vixenness about like there. She has to be his equal in a way that he can't anticipate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I didn't I don't buy. I mean, I guess in order to buy that scene, there are a couple things you have to buy. You have to I mean, in other scenes like that in the movie. One thing is you have to buy his attraction to her. I don't. No. I don't buy that. Um, even though, I mean, objectively, yes, if we were talking about a heterosexual male and Margot Robbie, not that all straight men have the same taste. But no, not in but, the, yes, in the abstract, mm-hmm. sure, but when you see it on screen, right. it does not play. It, it does not play, right. So I don't believe that. The other thing I don't believe, and I feel like I can't believe that nobody really thought to try to make this sort of thing work, but her accent does not, I mean, her accent... I guess if you don't know she's Australian is maybe plausible, but it also sounds like a put on accent. Like it is, it too is a con. Uh, I was hoping that that would slip and become part of the plot, but she just doesn't have any superpower that is equal to Will Smith's stardom. And so, you know, the plot doesn't give her anything to do. I always feel when I see her in a movie and at this point, I mean, always is strong. I've only seen her in two movies, this and The Wolf of Wall Street. I feel like she was maybe, and with all with all respect to her, I feel like she was maybe the third or fourth choice. And for this movie, for for both movies, I feel like Wolf of Wall Street. She can't, she might. I feel like she got that part because the other the four previous people didn't want to take their clothes off. Yeah, um, that's possible. I mean, who and knows? Just and didn't think there was enough to the role that sort of wasn't demeaning. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I feel like she, I feel like Will Smith deserves, uh, an equal in some way, someone to be a good foil. Like he needs a female Martin Lawrence and I feel like he never gets one. Um, or a female Tommy Lee Jones. I just feel like he has good chemistry with, with certain people and he is a star who kind of needs somebody to bounce that off of. Um, and she's not it. Um, but you know the movie sort of is 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 a romance, and it kind of lives and in in some ways dies based on this attraction that they have for each other. And the thing about a con movie that that gets me mostly to the end of this movie is that I am always waiting for the. I'm I'm a little. I mean, I'm a little less sophisticated than you are when it comes to these movies. I really do believe that 
I believe the movie is going to keep con like the characters are going to keep conning each other until they can't do it anymore, which is why I love duplicity so much. Did you ever see that? Yeah, right up until the, the, the yeah, that right that's right up until the end, duplicity. That's got a great just, ending. Yeah. And if you don't like Julia Roberts, I I love Julia Roberts, but I also have a thing about Julia Roberts and money. This was the best Julia Roberts and money ending ever because she doesn't get any. <laughs> It should, and yeah, I love that. I loved that. I love that. That Tony Gilroy, who who did that movie, or is it Tony Gilroy? I think it's. I think it's Dan Gilroy. No, Dan. Did, Dan is the Nightcrawler. Gilroy. Okay, so, so it's Tony, Tony Gilroy. Gilroy. But I, maybe Dan worked because Dan Gilroy worked on some of those Tony Gilroy movies. But yeah, no, this is a Tony Gilroy movie. Then um, anyway, I, I feel like somebody did their Julia Roberts homework and was like, "Nope, not getting paid this time, lady." Right, so somebody actually thought about Julia Roberts and money. Yeah, I don't know. I just love that movie. I love all... And you're talking about characters. That movie has all these great characters in it. Um, And Clive Owen and Julia Roberts make sense together. Tom Wilkinson, Paul Giamatti, Dennis O'Hare. There's a lot of really good... Tom Wilkinson, Paul Giamatti fight? Yes, yes, yes. Like Robert Longo painting fight, you know, like where they're just punching each other in suits in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's a good movie. I don't know. I guess maybe I have too high of standards for things like this, but I also feel like the the, the bar to clear is pretty low, and it just doesn't. It just didn't clear that for me. It just didn't work. It just felt like, oh, we'll just put a con in there. I feel like the con should be. You should at least. I don't know. It's it should be it should be ahead of you. I definitely like the, the Super Bowl con. I was def, I I did not see coming. But then I feel like there's nothing to see to not see coming. It's like it's just it's so seamless and so kind of you know. Like because that's not really the point. The point of them pulling off the con is not that. It's like, is he going to get back with Margot Robbie? I don't know. It's interesting. Also, this is like, I mean, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say that the other thing that you're sort of getting at is the idea that like they, the cons all make sense once someone explains. It's like a horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. This movie can't execute the cons in the moment. It has to explain how the con has come to be. Right. So at some point you're watching what what apparently is a con, but you don't know it's a con because it's either not been explained to you beforehand or doesn't seem like a con in the moment. But then it has to be explained to you after the fact by a different character. This happens with the first one and the second one. And I feel like that is I mean, it's not I mean, it's a cheat in some ways, but it also is a kind of sleight of hand that. In the wrong hands, I guess is kind of clumsily done. I feel like I feel like this is this was good enough for me, but I also wish that you know it had some of what Duplicity and and the Oceans movie had Oceans movie have, which is that which is actually doing pulling off the heist uh, or the or the job in the moment. And I, you know, even the Italian job is like one of those movies where, I mean, this is, it's a different genre of, that's a sort of, that's a heist movie, not a caper movie. But yeah, but it's the same, the same principle. It's the same principles applies, applies right, roughly. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wanted, I wanted more of that. I mean, there's a lot of things that are sort of told to you that you, that a better movie would be able to illustrate for you in some way. I mean, there's a moment when Will Smith has that, he's been training her she's been his you know padawan you know learning the the ways of uh, pickpocketing <laughs> margarobi and then it, he he has that he gives her like a, a speech where he's like you're the best i've ever seen you're the best you know the, the, uh, like i've never you know you're a natural like i forget exactly what the context of it is but like there's been no 
we've been shown nothing to to make it clear that like she is the natural like that somebody could like a better movie could have just shown you like uh, somehow like her being amazing and like you don't really see that you see a bunch of you know a kind of you know musical number of uh, purse snatching and things like that but you don't ever actually see you, there's nothing that you know to show you like oh wow she's incredible like at this you know the game I don't know. It's very like, – all of the technical aspects, it's like a nice kind of – just looking at the colors and the editing is great and all those things. And so it can almost kind of carry you along on the sort of moving sidewalk of a movie like this. And there is a Will Smith thing. It's it's fun to see Will Smith kind of be – if your most recent memory, at least what mine is of Will Smith, if your most recent memory is After Earth. Oh, it's mine too. <laughs> which is – I guess it's every – I mean there's no – there's nothing else that could be – in between, but like watching him speak with that weird accent and be tied up inside of the the spaceship, sort of slowly dying, and talking to Jaden in his earpiece about you know how fear is the mind killer. This is way more fun in that respect. I don't know. It reminded me of like movies with old Cary Grant. Not that Will Smith is that old, but like that thing where you're like, oh okay, you know, like like Walk Don't Run or whatever. Like where it's it, 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 you're it, it, it's still. Everybody involved is kind of like the characters kind of know it's Cary Grant on some level. And so they're like, mm-hmm. oh. yes, 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 yes. You can you buy that they're charmed by him just because it's, you know, it's him. You know, it's he's not he's not that old yet. It's not to that point. But it's it, it, no. It, but I mean, this is a that part way. he could do this when he is, you know, 60 years old. He could continue to do this. Yeah. Um, and I'd be and... fine with it. I'd be, I'd be fine with it. Exactly. I'd be totally fine with it Instead, as long as he stays yeah. out of space. And he's not. He's doing Independence Day 4. No, not ID4, you know. He's doing ID4, 2, and Bad Boys 3 and all those. Like, that's that's the, the comfort well, zone. Well, he kind of has to do that he's because, back to. you know, I mean, he has to he has to sort of make amends with the box office for, you know, those other movies. And, you know, I feel like in some ways there is, a, if you fail the way he's, I mean, if you fail the way Seven Pounds failed and if you fail the way, if your movie fails the way after earth you know allegedly failed i think that the safest thing that your team i guess can get you to do is stuff you've already done you know which is how you wind up with the third men in black movie and you know another bad boys movie i'm not objecting to to a bad boys movie i just feel like there's got to be some other stuff in between like this that he can keep doing to sort of you know stretch from you know, whatever whatever it is for him to stretch in a sort of comedic part or, you know, to try to play something dramatic that is in his wheelhouse, like uh, Pursuit of Happiness or, you know, uh, the, the, the Charlton, the Omega Man remake that I'm now remiss. I'm uh, the last man on earth movie that he did. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a, I mean, that was, that was solid. Kind of boring. I like that movie. I mean, that was proof of. I mean, for me, that was at least proof that he he is a star that you'd kind of watch do anything. But also that it's hard to get him. It, it's it's hard to figure out who he can work with. It's like you mentioned, like the, there's no female Martin Lawrence. There's also like no. There's not that many Martin Lawrences. You know, it's like it, 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 so he ends no, up. That's true. More yes. and more isolated. It's like he makes a. You know, uh, what is that movie called? It's not called The Omega Man. Lot. No, it's it's I, um it's uh uh, uh <laughs> last man versus it's, vampire <laughs> army with only dog friend. That's the. <laughs> that's, it's I am legend. It's the it's Turkish title. 
It's uh, I am Legend. That's right. The original. Right. It's named after the original. <laughs> I could have held that all. I could have held on to that all day when you came up with other titles. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, I just free, freestyled, badly translated. No, I mean, it's like there. you can't, you know, it's hard to figure out who else go, who balances that equation, you know, for whatever reason. Like it's, you know, it's hard to pair them up with, you know, with anybody, I guess. Like it becomes, it sort of becomes more of this like, you know, movie starish isolation. He's never like, you know, part of. Like, yeah, but big that, I feel like that's by his own. Like, I feel like he and Julia Roberts could do like. At the end of Hancock, when you find out what that movie is actually about, <laughs> like you're like, okay, f you, why not give me the movie where you know sex with Will Smith is so good that it will have all these consequences? Like, give me that movie instead of like making a punchline out of it, and like let Charlize Theron, the Theron, be the the the, the receptacle <laughs> for all that for all that. Stop. He you know, does not, like... by the way, he does not get laid in movies. He does have sex in this movie. Somebody wrote, somebody worked it out. I, this is, I, I looked this up and like, obviously, the, the, I believe it's someone from the, the zine Badass Mofo actually went through all the movies. Like he's only like only four times in, and however many movies he's been in up till that point. I think I can probably name them. Regina King, Jada yeah. Pinkett Smith, uh, and Ali, uh, this movie Oh, before this movie, before so the, well before this movie, so this would be like five. Does does six degrees of separation count? <laughs> I forget if that's on the list. It might have been. I mean, that might count. be. Well, I'm saying like that might yeah like what my 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 point is that it, it, for whatever reason it doesn't happen very much. It doesn't happen very much. It's hard for him to you know and like it. It, it, you know, it's it's weird sort of, you know, in this in this movie that like he for some reason you're supposed to believe that he's so into her and yet is also kind of superior to her and sort of looks down on her for her poor uh, pickpocketing skills and yet can't, you know, can't resist her. I don't know. It's hard to match him up. It's like, you know, so this this felt like him kind of moving back into the world of just a, you know, regular movie star who can be paired up with some people but i would like to see him as like you said i'd like to see him work with someone who seems like more of an equal than agreed amrobi no disrespect but some disrespect i guess we'll be right back to talk about leonard nimoy there was a boy a very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far over land and sea. I wish he'd done like four little really shy. One more sad lie. Like late in life, but very so late in life, Nimoy. Spoken like words. he's teamed up with Ben Folds, like the equivalent of, of Ben Folds now, and done like Fear of Pop. All right, the Ben Folds. Let's let, let let's talk about it. Let's talk about the difference between you, you. You have to think about, especially now that he's he's the last of the the Holy Trinity still standing. You have to talk about Shatner in the context of Nimoy. You know, I mean, yeah. the whole all of the stories after the you know the sort of the day two story on. Nimoy's passing. Leonard Nimoy passed away last week, at the age of eighty-three. All of the the morning after story was that Shatner was not going to go to the funeral. He had a charity event on the other <gasps> side of the country. No, he made it apparently. 
got and a private jet. Have. Priceline himself a private jet. I, look, <laughs> look, he better have. I'm going to say. I'm going to say two things. First of all, he had a prior commitment. I'm going to say a couple of things. He had a prior commitment on the other side of the country. Maybe he couldn't make it. You know, maybe everybody mourns in their own way. Paul didn't go to John's funeral. I'm saying. Yeah, I guess sure. He was not a you know that there's he, he couldn't handle it. He was very broken up about it. Apparently, I just read a Paul McCartney uh, biography covers that sort of ends of the uh, Lennon assassination. Um, Shatner, you know, eventually he embraced the camp aspect of being Shatner. Right, he went and made after everybody had made fun of him for making Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and making these terrible spoken word Shatner records. You know, these just laughable, sort of like, you know, hilarious and wonderful, but not, you know, technically nobody was like, oh, man, Shatner's so great at you know singing and making records. He's like, you know, double threat. You know, it's like he's incredible. Everybody was like, this is cheesy and campy. And eventually sort of, you know, I think sort of he fought against it. If you watch like the first, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture, he's very serious about it. He's like, this is, you know, heart surgery that I'm doing playing Captain Kirk. And eventually sort of em- embraces the, the silliness of the whole thing and goes on to make that he makes that has been record with Ben Folds. And it, it is at once he's he's reclaiming the sort of weird Shatnerian spoken word delivery as a <laughs> device to do. Uh, but also kind of making a, you know, a, 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 about being an old man. There's some really great sort of, you know, sad kind of like old man thinks about his life kind of songs on that record and like actually sort of turning it into something. You know, but he became he's in on the joke of himself. He, you know, he sort of got in there. Nimoy did something a, a little more difficult in a way, which is that he he never he, he never really camped it up and he never, you know, he did other things that were not Spock related and did, you know, return to Spock a lot, you know, went back to that well as as needed. You know, I think there was more of, a, you know, he sort of negotiated his relationship with that character. A little bit more, but he he never, you know, he, there's not there's five letter Nimoy albums, which I refamiliarized myself with as I was writing. That's a him. that's a surprisingly high number. He had five way. albums by the time Star Trek went off the air. I'm not talking about over the years since, like he's putting it out. Like he's you know wrote a lot of books of poetry and stuff. He had like just eight books of poetry or something like that. But he had five albums. Increasingly, the first one is very much like Sp- Mr. Spock presents music from outer space. It's a total Star Trek cash in, and it has him as Spock on the cover. And then he gradually, over the course of the next five, it beca- the the degree, the amount of Nimoy versus the amount of Spock on the records, the, the ratio kind of shifts. And I think on the first one, it's like, you know, it's a both sides now kind of a scenario where it's like him in the ears and him without the ears. And then eventually he's just doing like pop standards records. It's just kind of, you know, just covering the hits of the day and a lot of originals. Um, so he, you know. He figured out how much he he wanted to remain Nimoy. He was very much like trying to, you know, sort of figure out what that is. But the problem with it is that it's not a problem. But, you know, Shatner was playing a character that was written for him. Nimoy came in there. It was not a very developed character. And so a lot of the traits and sort of things that he brought to Spock were things that he just brought in there because there wasn't a lot of it was not on the page. Mm -hmm. You know, so that is very much created out of the, you know, the the, the cloth of... uh, Nimoy's own 
persona, which is why he could never really turn his back on Spock. He could never sort of say, that's not, you know, that's, that's not who I am. That's why, he, you know, anyway, I don't know. I did not grow up with the original Star Trek. I grew up with the movies. Yeah, that was me. In which he's very important, you know, but it's not, I definitely like next generation was the one that I watched as a TV show when it was new and was excited about and was like, I'm getting in on the ground floor of this thing Mm -hmm. and experiencing this, you know, so that's, you know, but, but I recognize that a lot of that, all of that sort of exists in the shadow of the first one, you know, of, of TOS, as they say, (laughs) (laughs) you'll learn the, you learn the acronyms. Um, but yeah, What's I think interesting to me is I just, he was always Spock, but in a way that I never quite experienced firsthand, you know, uh, not even, even, even in the movies, I, I saw the movies when they came out and he, there was something, I don't know. I don't want to constantly be bringing it back to this, but he and Shatner were really sexy. Look. There's a they reason. Were, and I I get I I mean I get why the Spock thing really followed him around because you know what as a kid I'd see the Star Star Trek would be on TV a lot and you catch little glimpses of it and there's just something about him I mean he's very different from Shatner and they're two they occupy two very different poles on the on the on the appeal axis. Um. But they both have something, and and you know, I remember as a kid just really responding to, to both of them in different ways. They're uh, very Nimoy. Yeah, they're two I'm, like hero archetypes that are not the same, and they, they, they there's a there's a tension between those two things. I think. Right, but you know, I'm also guilty of being that that child who, I don't think I don't think you mentioned this in your piece. <laughs> But I was the kid whose mom had, you know, a lot of books and I would just read things that were on the shelf. And um, one of them was a book by some guy named Dr. Spock <laughs> by the other Spock. Right. And it was, was like, like baby and child care. Yeah. That guy also incredible. does. <laughs> right. this guy, I can't believe it. I didn't know. I had to ask my mother. She's like, no, baby, that's a different that's a different spot. I feel like kids used to call Mr. Spock Dr. Spock, too, because he is a you know, he's not Dr. McCoy, but he's a he's a science officer. He has a doctorish quality to him. That's I feel like well, that's right. an honest mistake. I don't think that's a you know, no, that's a That's a common mistake. I'm sure. Also, um, my my real my sort of, you know, spiritual relationship with Larry Nimoy was really in, in in search of that TV show that he did. Um, for what must have been my entire childhood um, that I was too scared to watch sometimes because some of those episodes were really scary. Like the Mayan Mysteries episode. And there's there's one uh, th- th- just about astrology where I, I don't remember ex- at all what it was about. But, it, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the montages were really fascinating and just like Leonard Nimoy narrating those. And he was doing the, the – he was on the scene for a lot of that stuff. You know, like, I don't know. It just was, it was pretty incredible. You know, this, I don't remember if that show was supposed to be like a Twilight Zone, like a docu-Twilight Zone. 
Yeah, it was like um, unsolved, kind of vaguely paranormal-ish unsolved mysteries, right? Right. But so they he also stepped had, like, in for Rod Cooper. Serling. Yeah, I mean, but it wasn't – yeah, it was more – it was sort of like a, you know, like a mysteries of the unknown, like those – the Time Life books kind of thing of like, you know, the, the, the ancient right. pyramids. Like, those were the that, – that's what was advertised during In Search Of, too. I yeah. remember that. Man, TV used to be so weird. I mean, I guess it's yeah. weird now, but I mean, now it like it, it was just a different kind of weird, I guess, in 1978. No, when um, TV didn't really know what people wanted, when you couldn't tell, you know, when there was right, no real right. gauge for that. And they would just be like, maybe this. Who knows? You know, Star Trek lasted three years. Only three years. It's like, yeah, it seems like, oh, my God, it was on forever. But it had so, no, it had such a huge impact, and it was canceled after you know, after three years. I mean, I think that's the most important. That's my that's my kind of ground zero. That's like the beginning of, like, modern fandom is the moment when Star Trek is canceled because then it becomes the job of the fans to keep it alive. And so it creates that template for all those other things. Can we yeah. go back to the sexiness of Kirk and Spock? I mean, I don't want to – I'll be the one to bring it back there. I mean, I think that's sure. really important too. It's like – You'll never you'll, you'll never lose my interest. No, the slash in slash fiction, the original in – the, in, the, in the phrase slash fiction, that slash was originally the slash between Kirk and Spock. People wanted that to happen. People sort of like that – you know, that became a topic of fiction on the internet. People sort of imagining that scenario. There was something there. And I think it's because it's like, the, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of the sort of the, you know, the erotic imagination was attached to Kirk necessarily. You know, I think like there was – it's much more about Spock. It's much more about the idea of like, oh, this guy is so, you know, he's repressing these powerful emotions. You know, he feels yeah. really strongly. I mean, if you watch – I watched the one – apparently he started – he became a phenomenon. He started getting 10,000 letters a week after – uh, the Naked Time, which is like the fourth episode of the first season of Star Trek, when he's uh, the crew is infected with a virus that makes them act weird, which happened a lot on the original Star Trek. <laughs> uh, and his, uh, you know, it, it, it it's like it's a virus that affects you the way alcohol affects you. It sort of lowers your inhibitions. And Spock has a really hard time when this happens because he's kind of it's like he's been dosed with feelings. And Nimoy has a big, like, uh, man cry scene kind of taking advantage of, like, all his, you know, the years of theater experience that he had up until that point. But then he's, you know, he's he, it's, he's dealing with, you know, the feelings of his, his kind of feelings of love for Kirk and all those things. I think, you know, and it's like this is the early, it's the early 60s or like mid to late 60s. You know, you, you were not you were not seeing, you know, sort of masculinity be something you, you struggled with. Mm-hmm. As a mm-hmm. as a man in you know sort of on television, that was not like a thing that you know that happened. You know, and he's trying to he's 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 like you know how do I how do I rationalize like you know like who I am with you know my feelings of love for this for this guy? It's all there. I don't know. Yeah. Go watch no, that I episode. Mean, it's really like it's a word like if you want to. I don't. Know, rem- I'm sure I've seen it. I don't remember it, but I mean, I have very sort of impressionistic memories of Star it's, Trek. It's the one with Sulu uh, with no uh, shirtless being a, a like a swordsman. You know, like a it's okay. like. You've seen it in montages. You'll 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 recognize it. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I it, he he. It. You know how these things are. The 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 important person dies, and you're suddenly forced. You're tasked with thinking, what did this person mean to me? And you know what memories of this person do I have? And I I, I was surprised by the amount of memories I had about. I was perplexed as a as a teenager. I wasn't even a teenager yet. Like uh, that he that he'd made uh, three men and a baby. 
Like, really? Spock did that, too? It's amazing. Um, he directed The Good Mother. There's oh, a, and The Good Mother. That's right. Yeah. He kind of... He, he, I don't even know if he was... It, it's weird. He At some point, he was like, yeah, I just did that. Uh, I directed some movies. He didn't seem like he really loved it that much. He seemed like he had other pursuits that he was more interested in, that it wasn't one of those things where it's like... You sort of think like, oh, he's going to... You know, he'll die in Star Trek Two, and then he'll direct Star Trek Three because he wants to stay in there. But, like, you know, it, it's not... Because he's always really wanted to direct, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I got that impression. I think it was something that you know he could do, and so he did it for a while. And then what he really wanted to do was you know, do a lot of uh, he did you know fine art photography, nudes, mm. big beautiful women. If you look up, go go look it up. Uh, there's a you know a whole uh, he did a whole photo book with these uh, burlesque uh, ladies, mm. reenacting like uh, Rolling Stone hot issue poses of supermodels. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That was, you know, and I think that seemed like that meant as much to him as, you know, as kind of directing films did. I don't know. He was great. I think he really sort of, there's no, there's not a lot of examples that I can think of, of someone better handling a part that's going to follow you around for your entire life and dealing with that, you know, that level of identification with a single thing that you used to do that you don't do anymore. I mean, he kind of went back and, you know, did it. It was like, you know, there were reunions, you know, there were those movies and he, you know, played Spock in those Abrams movies, obviously. But, you know, it's like having been a Beatle. Like, how do you work with that? Right, right. You know, right. and I no, think that's a good point. He really acquitted himself really well with, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, that burden and not, you know, not letting it be a burden. Um, so I, I I thought that was pretty cool. Well, live long and prosper. LLAP. Uh, Leonard Nimoy. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about girls for a minute. Think of your fellow man. Lend him a helping hand. Put a little love in your heart. You see it's good. So, all right, you brought this up to me. I, I, I forget we were going to do it. We were going to. We've been sort of putting it off a little bit, but it's not. I, it's not my imagination. Like I've always, I've, I've always really liked girls. I've enjoyed all the seasons thus far. You know, I've, I've yet to really, you know, sort of, you know, fall out on it. But it does feel like it's better this season. I feel like it's sort of, it has, kind of tipped up a notch in a way that you know season four of something not necessarily the point where that happens always right you know this deep it's true in the run either it's a this is the point where like you know it's 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 kind of either either it's ready to go out or it's just it's achieved kind of cruising altitude and it will continue to be that way you know in the classic tv model it's like oh there's like yeah there'll be another you know another four seasons i don't know like there was something you know that that gambit of taking her uh, Hannah, Lena Dunham, the main character, out of New York for a little while and letting those characters sort of rattle around uh, really kind of paid off for me. I don't know. I was. Uh, were you sure about it from the beginning? Did you feel good about it when it was happening? No. 
No, 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 no. I mean, I I didn't know. I mean, I, I'd seen she made one movie. I didn't know anything. No, I mean, um, in this beginning of this season. I don't know. Oh, this sure. season. Uh, yeah, because yeah, we're, no, we're not going to talk about this Lena Dunham. No, no, no. Yeah, no we'll I'm not have a about... larger girls conversation at some point. But um, this season, I I think episode two is hands down the funniest episode of this show ever. Um where she goes to Iowa, they, you know, Elijah shows up and they party. And I just thought that was the closest thing to, to, I believe the show in this season has declared itself a sort of stealth satire. And I think that that episode, uh, uh, I guess it, I think it's called triggering. They go, she gets to Iowa, Elijah shows up, they go out partying and there's this real contrast between there being what are they twenty six or twenty seven and then these in these kids who are you know ten years eight years younger than they are and it's just really really funny um just physical comedy in that episode is is really good um and I also think that the the thing that it says about how immature the characters we've been watching for four seasons of television are in in relationship to to actual you know <laughs> um permissibly immature people <laughs> if that makes any sense oh yeah but also that she immediately defaults to i know so much and i'm going to help you out you immature young people at that party that she becomes the you know the voice of wisdom she's ready to be the voice of wisdom at any moment there's no kind of like i don't know anything i'm in the same boat as you like she sees that girl crying and she's ready to tell her you know how to you know how everything should be and how everything i love be. yeah I, and i love that she is i think that the moments the show is sort of at its near its best are when it goes very dark um the way it did in season two and has all those you know all that sort of psychological damaged sex that that, that takes place or in this season where Hannah is sort of made herself to be this avatar of, of a particular kind of wisdom, like entitled wisdom that she can give only to people such as herself who are slightly younger than she is. Um, I think that, you know, I think that I like that also the show this season has become really about a like privilege and, and, and not its discontents, but just having it. And, you know, she's, you know, the first two, the two, the second season, I guess she was apologizing for that. And I feel like the fourth season of this show is really her just trying to find a way to do something dramatically and comedically interesting with privilege. And I think that, you know, there's so many great moments in this, in this season that have like tried to capitalize on that awareness. Like there's a, there's that scene where, where, um, um, uh, oh, Jesus, I just uh, forgot her name. <laughs> Jessa, sorry. Jessa, yeah. Uh, where Jessa says, where Jessa says to Ray and Shoshana, you know, this is why I don't date white people, <laughs> or this is why white people should never date each other. Um, it just is like, it, I mean, that's a total random line that is that speaks only to the criticism to the show, but also to the very specific mindset of a particular kind of white person who is simultaneously not dating any people of color. <laughs> you know, like, I know I'm part of the problem, but, you know, Jessa is also insane and doesn't know that she's part of any problem. 
Right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, Jessica could sort of walk into Broad City, you know, like more easily yes. than any of these other yes. people like that New York, yes. you know, which is a very different. It's it's the same. It's the same time period, but it's a very different city. But, yeah, she has that Broad City thing where it's like you're so you're so progressive about race. You're actually kind of racist. Yes. You know, like, I mean, it isn't like, that like it doesn't that kind of embody the show situation in some ways, too. I mean, I don't think the show has ever been guilty of that. Um, and if anything, it's sort of like gone, right. I mean, it has been, it actually has been guilty of that. But I feel like the farther away from that it gets, apologizing for, for, for you know, HBO choosing Lena Dunham to have a show and not you know, some not white person, um, the better it is. Yeah, no, I think that's that that, that makes sense. I mean, it, it's better. Yeah, when it's sort of when it's depicting. These sort of, you know, the like these people who are, you know, more benighted than they think they are, you know, who think that they're very like when it's not trying to be progressive, when it's sort of just sort of trying to show that, you know, that thing. I don't know. It's a it's it's a fine line. I mean, like season two is the Donald Glover season. Right. Or that's that. That's, yes, you know, that's the first episode. Right. Yeah. The sort of two. thankless Donald Glover part that you know, was right. written in there to sort of answer these criticisms. I don't think it's unrealistic that there's these uh, four white girls living in Bushwick. Who no, don't have any look, Alex, we've we're, talked about this. I think we're we've beyond this that. I know. We're so far. I know. I know. That, I know. I know. Like... I know. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, you were I'm making sorry a to point shut though. that. <laughs> no, you. I shut it down. Like, what, but you were making a point though. No, I don't know. What, I don't know what my point was. I was going. I was going back to that thought. I mean, I just you know it. It's now. It's just, it's just. It's working for me on a character level. The reveal when she returns to New York, you know, and there's that uh, the you know the situation that uh, you know. I don't know. Is, I, should I worry about spoiling it? I'm not going to worry about spoiling it. No, don't worry about it. It's fine. When she comes back in New York to New York and she's been broken up with without really knowing it, you know, she comes back early and, you know, sort of like, you know, Adam has uh, sort of taken up, you know, uh, moved in with this uh, new woman played by Jillian Jacobs in the community. Who's really good. Mimi Rose Howard. Mimi Rose. Ugh. <laughs> Just saying the name. It's so per- – she's so perfectly named. It's perfect, like the TED Talk and the obsessive watching of the TED Talk. I thought last week though was just really fantastic. The last two have been really good since yes, that. Yes, I happened. agree. Yes, last I week, agree. there's something that happens last week that I had like kind of a great, just like fridge moment where you're like, oh man, this this show is kind of great, and like it's it's a very kind of Seinfeldian moment, but they don't make a big deal out of it. There's that thing where they like they're in the cab and the cab driver hits the old lady with the cab. And she's lying in the street, and she's. It sounds like seems like she's probably going to be okay. You know, it's not like she's dying in the street there, but you know, it's not technically their fault. But they won't like Mimi Rose won't leave because she's a conscientious person. So they go off and have this conversation. She's a quote conscientious (laughs) unquote person. They just leave the scene eventually. They both leave. Like you know, they both. They ultimately like they. The two of them being the most self-centered people in the world. Like that's you know the fact that the, like Mimi Rose and Hannah kind of deserve to be in each other's lives in a way is sort of great. But the fact yes. that they leave that moment, they eventually like they forget all about the old lady who's the reason that they have, uh, are sitting there having this heart to heart is because they're waiting to find out if this lady's okay. But not only that, statement. but the show doesn't even go back. Like, she doesn't... I mean, they leave that old lady, and they never go back. There's no investigation about what happened. It is just between the cab driver and the old lady. And it's true, Hannah did not cause that accident. She wasn't driving the cab. But I, you know what I thought in that moment? I was like, this is a show that right now, in this moment, with that old lady lying on the ground, it could turn into Margaret 
that great Kenneth Lonergan movie from a, from a few years ago, that you know masterpiece of a movie, or it could do what it's currently doing and just be as you aptly pointed out, which it, this had not occurred to me, but Seinfeld. Seinfeld without the sort of the a Seinfeld episode in that moment would have been about the ethics of what just transpired in which, you know, Elaine and, 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 and George leave the scene of an accident to, to do something that was very important. And Jerry finds out that that happened and he just can't believe that it happened. Um, so they debate the, the, the ethics of, of what George and, and Elaine have done, or maybe just George does it. And Elaine and Jerry join in the debate about like whether that was the right thing to do. This show has Asperger's or something and decides that it doesn't even matter that <laughs> we just left the scene of an accident where an old lady's been hit by a car. Um, and that, you know, Hannah has like insanely taken that poor guy on a date with her. Was that Jake Lacey, by the way, from from uh, yeah, uh, Obvious that's, Child, that's, the, the boyfriend and Obvious Child? Yes, that's who I thought it was. That guy what? is just, you put him in anything and I'll like it. I don't like Obvious Child, but he is freaky wonderful, um, and he's wonderful on this show too. Yeah, he's on The Office. I liked him on The yeah. Office. Anyway, yeah. I, I just feel like there's a way in which this show has. I feel like it is. It reminds me in a lot of ways. We talked about this person before on the show. It reminds me of Paul Mazursky. Um, the the sort of interest in a particular class of American person and a particular aspect of like upper middle class or sort of bourgeois concerns and, and, and entitlements and privileges and without sort of casting them in, in the sort of broadest possible sense, just showing these people behaving in these particular ways is an admission of, or isn't, is a, it sort of speaks to this condition, this sort of particularly American condition. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, she hasn't reached Mazursky's level uh, as a writer, but I think that there are just some wonderful moments of of human drama. I actually don't think the writing is as strong as it was this this season as it was even even in like parts of season three and the end of season two. Um, but I do I do like in the fourth season that it's pushing this, these characters in some other direction, even if, you know. Oh man! If it happens that Marnie is going to end up in this horrifyingly, sickeningly earnest relationship with that singer, um, but again, that sort of feels to me like part of the show's satire. I love that Marnie's music is bad. They have, uh, yeah, they're really—it's not hilariously bad. Like it's not over it's the painfully top. bad, but it's not. It's you totally believe that this would be music that somebody would make. You know, it's not like like when she did her sort of like auto tune YouTube thing, like that was a joke and that was a psych gag. But like, actually, you totally believe that this is the kind of, you know, that this this send up that they're doing of the, like once core, you know, yeah. <laughs> you it, just make that up. Yeah, no, it's like, it's you know, it's that thing it, like the, the, and that Ruffalo that and that, like is brilliant. Yeah, like that they're that's what they're doing. And they have it's it, it's it's uh, Lena Dunham's uh, boyfriend's a guy from fun is like writing these perfect kind of you know uh bad sort of like folk rock duet songs you know just like these like they're just exactly cliched enough you know it's those it's those little things like not having her be good you know yeah, like no, so like i think it's I, great yeah it's, it's you know i mean he he's you know he's he's reprehensible that guy there's the, the he's the, awful he's the i mean he's awful i mean i wish he'd gotten hit by the cab 
But you know, to this show's credit, he'll he'll be around. He'll be, He's not yeah. going anywhere. Um. Anyway, I I mean, I just wanted to. I I don't know why I wanted to talk about the show. We had never talked about it before, and I also I mean, not really. And I just feel like it is. You know, it's doing some very interesting things with selfishness and social disorder and um, just bad behavior that I actually kind of admire. Because at any to- at any moment, that date with Jake Lacey could have turned into a very sweet episode of television. And I was expecting it to. You know, like Hannah redeems herself or Hannah is redeemed by going on this date with this sweet school teacher who and probably asks her out after meeting her for 10 seconds, which actually makes him kind of a weirdo too. Um, Or Jake Lacey turns out to be super great and like, is like, you're worth it. You know, you're, you shouldn't, don't chase after this guy. He turns into his obvious child character. Yeah. That's the TV version, you know, is that he's like, I see a, I see a lady who doesn't know what she's worth or whatever it is like that. That's, you know, that's your network television version of this. Right. That's how that, that, that turns around instead. He's like, I'm out of here. Clearly, he's the only sane person in that room. <laughs> For now. For the moment. For now. Well, yeah, because you do see, obviously, it's not, it's not over. He, that, I feel like you don't hire this guy. He's too good to let go of. I mean, he's got to come back. He's no, going to go back to school. Yeah, he's in the scenes from next week. He'll be, he'll be yeah. back. But in that immediate moment, like, he does what, he, like, someone really with a good head on their shoulders would do, which is, uh, like, there is, there are way too many variables here, and I, I don't, I don't need to be one of them. That's Zachary Quinto's in the picture at that point, you know. So it's just a with a toothbrush in his mouth, like ah. Yeah. <laughs> I, as a person who lives in New York, I watch this show and I'm like, oh, I gotta move. <laughs> I have to leave all of New York, not just Brooklyn, Manhattan too. They've infected everything. These people. It's it. You know, it is a really interesting satire of this city, um, and you know it. it I just I can't think of anything that is that is done what the show is doing without sort of also at the same time being great. Do you know what I mean? Like it it hasn't you know season two I think was great, but I mean I I'm I'm not prepared to say it's a great show, but I think it it has these moments of real inspiration and and just fearlessness. I mean it is an unselfconsciously daring show in a lot of ways, and I think that. I mean, I think I'd like some more cohesion, cohesiveness um, in the writing and in, 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 in the characters. I mean, I, I, people are there one week and then they're gone, you know, of the, you know, between Marnie and Shoshana and Jessa and, and Hannah. I mean, I think more than ever, the show is really about Hannah and the other three people are quite literally sitting there alongside Elijah and Ray as the support, as a support network for her. Um, and I actually find the other characters, especially Shoshana, really interesting. Just, I mean, they're all so weird and so messed up, but like in a recognizable, in a recognize, if you've ever stood in line for a coffee in New York city, you have run into these people. If you've ever like gone to a movie theater and waited at the concession stand at the concession stand, you know, in New York, you've probably stood near one of these people or at a show or at a (laughs) art opening. Anyway, um, it's, I don't know. I'm glad it's still on. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you don't get a lot of great season fours. I'm ready to call it great. I'm ready to go great. I'm voting really? great. I need one more season. I'm voting I need, I'm I, voting great. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, who knows how much longer. I only one more season. Right? I think she's she's got to get out of there. How does it end? They can't they can't do jail. 
<laughs> Both, yes, they could. Seinfeld, they? Seinfeld took jail. They can't do. They can't do like women's prison. Uh, I don't know. The I big, don't know. The big girls cage. I actually. Oh. I don't want it to end. I want that to be season five. <laughs> somehow they're incarcerated orange is the new black girl girls just interrupted let it become one show yeah just, girls interrupted they just they wind up in some mental facility no, no. that would be terrible no, no yeah they share you're saying they share a prison with with seinfeld I'm saying that's no, I mean, because that's where Seinfeld sort of reveals, you know, that that ending rewrites Seinfeld in a way. It sort of goes it kind of goes back and sort of is like that ending confirms what you may have suspected if you watch a bunch of Seinfeld, which is that these people are actually sociopaths. Yeah. Like they're terrible people and they should be in jail and they've left this trail of pain and suffering all through the world. And like the story of Seinfeld as told by these secondary characters of Seinfeld is a very different story. And like, I feel like that's what that finale is about. And that's what that finale is saying. And, you know, this show, I think, lets the, you know, it, it, it tips the hand earlier. It allows you to sort of see like, yeah, these are actually not, you know. These may be well-intentioned people, but they're, you know, they are kind of doing terrible things like it makes sense that Adam would break up with her. In that in that moment, and that there wouldn't be he would you know you wouldn't show him agonizing over it like he would just kind of figure it out. I don't know, right? And I think the degree to which they flowed in and out makes sense too, because I think they're all kind of self centered people to some extent, and so there's a lot of you know, like Marnie thinks that there's a TV show in a parallel universe that's called Marnie, you know, like that she's the right. She's they the all Hannah. do, they but are all the Hannah of their own, you know, right? TV. But series. I feel like the thing about the show that I liked for the first two seasons was that the show was about how each of these people thinks that they're the star of their own show. I mean, I think that was the great thing about Jessa was that, you know, the show was as much about her and her own mind as it was. A, I mean, it wasn't even about Hannah. Um, and I feel like the, the, the narrative arc of the show is sort of fully going in, in Hannah's direction. And which is fair, but I also feel like it sort of is now giving short shrift to characters who seem much more developed and interesting previously. Um, I, 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 I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, I'm curious to see what happens in season five. Um, anyway, we'll be right back. Jam of the week. So are you saying you've never heard this song before? I don't know that I have. I'm like I'm um, feeling it. I don't know is, what it is. This is this is a Donna Summer Jam from 1982. It was originally, if memory serves, a Vangelis song. <laughs> All right, it's got that feeling. It's a- that he that he never released, or that he released, I guess, and it wasn't a hit. Um. This comes from Donna Summer's self-titled album. This is State of Independence, uh, her 1982 self-titled album, produced by Quincy Jones. Uh, this came out the year before she works hard for her money, or she works hard for the money. Um, made Donna Summer even more popular than she was in the 1970s for a minute. Right, stage um, two of the Donna Summer. Stage two fires. of the Donna Sun. Right, exactly. Uh, there and then there were four stages too. It's, that's the amazing thing. Um, and this is just a really, really great song. 
Whoa. Did you hear Yeah. So there's the choir. Q did not spare the, the sparing no expense. Uh, well, he did spare some expenses. We can talk about that right <laughs> okay. now. Now, this record, you hear this and you're like, I want to hear a whole album of this, right? Yeah. So I, I'm feeling exactly that right now. This album is not this. <laughs> <laughs> this album is crappy ballads. One like legitimately big hit, which is "Love Is in Control." Finger on the trigger. Do you remember that? Yes, that rings a bell. Okay, was this so a single? This was this a- was a single. Okay, this was a single. I don't know how it charted, um, but it did. I mean, it did pretty well. I mean, my mother bought a single. She came home with a like a forty-five, and you know that was that was our jam. Uh, but yeah, Donna Summer got short shifted by Tr- Quincy Jones, who was working on Thriller. So he and... kind of he was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll lace you. Yeah. I'll lace you with this Vangelis song, but that's yeah. I can't. I yeah. you know I can't be. I can't focus on this. Two project. good songs. Yeah, he had to he had to do a forty million worldwide telling I'm album. Busy helping define an epoch. So, so Joe Fuentes, you're great. Thanks for being a great producer, Dave. Dave Jacoby, you're great too. Uh, Alex, I'll talk to you next week. Wait, am I great? Th- nothing. <laughs> you're not there's, even. There, there's <laughs> nobody better. It was just in context. Nobody, nobody does it better. <laughs> nobody. In context, it's, it was like Joe Fuentes. You're you're great, uh, Jacoby, and you know Alex. I you, guess it was. You were understood. here, I guess. Yeah, it was I was okay. Understood. You're Kirk. <laughs> you are Spock. You are Will Smith. All rolled into one. Oh man, that's a lot of conflict, roiling within one person. But if you're Mrs. Papademus, it's a lot of something else too. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's even harder. I'm not touching that don't, one. Yeah, Thanks no, for worry. listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs. Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.